welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, really excited to have this uh, tremendous young man on the show today. Uh, I had not heard about the hidden opponent until I dove headfirst into mental health advocacy. And I ran into him online, reached out to him. They were very gracious in setting up some Zoom meetings. Um, and Andy and I had a chance to do quite a bit of talking. Then he invited to come speak to his campus uh, cam- uh, campus captain program. For me, that's a tongue twister. Uh, and I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak to some of the young men and women around the country that are athletes that discuss what I think is a great name for a, for a nonprofit, the hidden opponent, because really mental health is kind of a hidden opponent. So with that, Andy, great, uh, great to be on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah. So you were a graduate of Wisconsin Stevens point, right? In, in, um, in Wisconsin, uh, just like a year or so ago, or, uh, it was about two years ago now. Okay. And, and how'd you, how'd you get involved with the hidden opponent? Uh, and then you're welcome to talk about your past a little bit, your why, but how'd you end up on a, on a podcast with Jeff Johnston, uh, (laughs) at your age, talking about mental health at age 23? Yeah. So, uh, let's start with at school. Um, I played football there for two years and after I had yet another concussion, I've probably had about five total. Mm. Um, that's just, you know, it, it's a rough guess. It always is. Uh, but there were a couple of other factors in me deciding to take a step back from actually playing football. And I wanted to stay involved in athletics in some way. And I really didn't know what that was at the time. Right. Um, so getting involved with the hidden opponent or THO it's kind of a fluke, honestly. It fell into my lap. I saw a post of a friend of a friend on a Instagram story mm. about mental health for student athletes, and I was just intrigued. So I clicked on the profile. I think I might have even scrolled past it and kept going, and then I was like, wait, no, and went back yeah. to it. <laughs> and uh, I just followed the hidden opponent on Instagram and didn't really think anything of it. And then it was probably like three or four weeks later. They um, posted some things on their Instagram story about the new campus captains program. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what it was. I looked into it a little bit and I was like, yeah, I can do this. I have a lot of time on my hands now that I'm not in football anymore. And I, uh, I applied for the program, got in. They got a lot more applicants than expected. Mm -hmm. So they needed some help. And then I was actually a head campus captain that first year. And, um, this year was my first year as advocacy director for the hidden opponent. So now I oversee all of the campus captains program, um, help book speakers for different panels and webinars. And then, um, I mentioned this before we got on today, but I, uh, am also going to be speaking at NAMI's national conference, it's the national Alliance for mental illness. And, um, that is coming up next week. So I'm really excited for that. So that's kind of how I got involved with the hidden opponent. Um, programs grown a lot in the last couple of years. We, uh, saw our high school group grow by about three times in one year. Mm -hmm. And, um, a little bit of my own story and just quick background on that with mental health and, and kind of, um, why I'm so passionate about it. It's hard feeling like you're the only person that wants to care for your mental health and 
in talking in sense of being in a locker room, like especially football, I think is a, uh, a different atmosphere than most other sports. Right. You know, you're always taught rub some dirt on it. You'll be all yep. right. But yep. if you want to talk about your emotions or even cry, it's not a normal thing to do in football. Yeah. So I just felt like I wasn't, or I was the only one that um, was feeling this way. And I didn't really connect with a lot of my teammates on that emotional or, or spiritual level. Mm -hmm. And um, then I started to realize after I looked at things for myself and what I wanted to do with my life or my ex own expectations instead of other people's expectations right, for what I should right. do, I, um, you know, I, I really took a look at what my major was. I went in as pre-med and I did not graduate with that. I changed my major a couple of times. I did too, football. so don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, after kind of looking back and um, talking about my experience with other people, I did realize that I was having symptoms of anxiety and even depression. And mm -hmm. it was getting to the point where I needed somebody else to talk to. I needed that outlet. Mm -hmm. And I found that with the hidden opponent. Yeah, I think the more that don't take this the wrong way, the more that us adults, uh, the older people with kids and all that uh, can build um, systems for you guys, because your generation, Generation Z is the first generation ever to have new uh, their number one New Year's resolution be mental health. And I, I came across that stat when I was uh, working on our startup company, Brighton, which is our the nation's first one-page mental wellness plan for Gen Z. And my jaw dropped. I thought, wow, you know, I'm 57 years old, Andy. So I went back and thought about my high school days. And you're right, man. If I, if I went down the hallway and was crying and was talking about my, my feelings, I mean, the football dudes would have beat the crap out of me. Um, and, 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 you know, but the ir irony was that we didn't have as many suicides back then. So in a way, kids kept it in more, but we weren't having the, the mental illness issues that we have today. So to me, the, the real challenge is it seems right now, if you look, but almost like the more we talk about this, the more, the more it's becoming difficult, um, which I think we can fix this problem. I really do. I'm, I've never been more optimistic in mental health advocacy. Um, so there's something we're missing in how we're presenting this to young adults. That that's what really is curious for me is like, you know, the more we bring these things up and we bring, we raise awareness, I guess is what I want to say. It seems like in a way, sometimes it's making it worse. So how can we bring attention to, uh, not necessarily raise awareness. I, I personally think there's a big difference between the two. Raising awareness is a lot more activism, uh, in your face, you know, um, you know, uh, just aggressive marketing, you know, scare tactics, don't do drugs, don't do that. That's kind of rate. But bringing attention to is more of, hey, you know what? My name's Andy. I played football. I maybe, maybe I struggled in college. Uh, I, I couldn't talk about my feelings. Um, here's my story. And then people are like, wow, that's, that's impressive. And what you've done is you've kind of lured him in by you opening the door of vulnerability. So do you think there's a... How do you feel about that disconnect? Because like I said, back in the yeah. day when I, when I was your age, man, kids weren't taking their lives and, and we could have been depressed, but we held it really good. Uh, and now mm -hmm. today it seems like 
we we know more about these things, but I don't know if anyone's really getting any better. And that that's really perplexing to me. Yeah, that's actually a really great question. Um, so I would say that it starts with educating. Um, and yes, that does need to be from the top down, I call it. So from the adults and the teachers and the administration teaching our students about mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, if we know the importance of it, but also not just that it's important, the impact that it can have long-term, right? Right. Because if somebody like me is um, going through something in college and I never opened up about it and I just kind of bottle it up and, and keep it in mm -hmm. for years, it might not hit me until I'm 45 or 50 years old. And then right. at that time, I'm like, I have this full bottle. It's about to explode. And something and triggers you. Yep. Something yeah. triggers like, you know, divorce or a death or something like that. Next thing you know, everything blows up. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't really think about that in advance. But again, just having this conversation, that question, um, I think it starts with education. And, uh, you know, part of what we do with the Hind opponent is educating not only the campus captains and the people that are involved in the program, but the people at their schools and even athletic administration. When I talk with um, athletic directors about programming for their coaches mm -hmm. and not their student athletes, they're, they, they have a lot more questions. Yeah, right. right. But that's where it stems from. If right. the coaches are able to be supportive and athletic administration is supportive of their student athletes, mental health journey, then hopefully we would see less problems down the road. And then to answer your question about, uh, you know, students taking their own lives mm -hmm. more now than ever is true. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. No, it sucks. No. Yeah. And I think last May, so last year, we had uh, two student athletes in the NCAA take their own lives. And in spring, I think it was five or six. Yeah. And then mostly were, were they mostly women athletes, right? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, it even hits close to home. I live in the Madison area and there was a um, cross country athlete mm -hmm. who took their own life at UW, like Madison. Mm. And um, her name was uh, Sarah Schultz. And yeah it hits really close to home because yeah. I live 15 minutes from campus. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I, I saw something the other day about North Carolina state university. I don't know if you saw that they had 14 students die last year. Eight were suicides. Yeah. I, I think that's a correct. I think that's what I saw. Eight was suicide four overdoses, I think or three. And then the rest were like natural or car accident or something like that. But it's like, Holy crap, man. I mean, eight suicides. I mean, something systemically is wrong in a system that that can happen. And, it's, I, and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not blaming NC state. I'm sure they, I'm sure they're doing everything in their power. And you guys probably have a presence there. I'm sure the hidden opponent probably has some captain uh, campus captains there. Um, but it's like, you know, I have this compelling desire to try to learn why this is happening uh, and not point fingers. I, I'm not, I'm not blaming the phones and blaming all that crap because you, you could play that forever. Uh, the reality is the blame game doesn't save lives. And so we have to say, okay, 
where is this stem? Is this a society problem? Is this a, a safety net problem? We don't have a big enough net out there. People don't know where to go. Or is it just, we got to, I hate to say it, but get tougher. I mean, we are a pretty soft country right now. Uh, we are very easily offended. Um, somebody walks by and, and cuts you off. And next thing you know, you just go completely bonkers or somebody makes a, a comment about you and you just go crazy on, on Twitter or something. It's like, I, part of me once I grew up in a family with my dad as a very competitive athlete. He got drafted by the Cubs to pitch. He was an all American ba basketball player. Um, I grew up with three brothers. I'll tell you what, Andy, we just settled things the old fashioned way. We just went out and played one-on-one -on -one till somebody won. And then we probably got in a fist fight, you know, and, and we just settled it. And at school, if you got bullied, you, just, you know, you, you just settled it. And we kind of miss that right now. And in a way, I think, I think there are some advocates out there that aren't, aren't saying this. I'm, so I'm not saying this. I'm not saying, oh, just toughen up. I, I'm not saying that. But there is some of this where I think it's, we're culpable on both ends. I think, I think the children need to learn strength and confidence and the ability to fight through tough times. And today it's just easy to kind of just give up. And I'm tired of people dying in my life. I'm tired of people giving up and I'm tired of people not having any hope. And so a lot of my missions are, how do we get the kids? Sure. Listen, understand, touchy feely, cry with them, hug them. But at some point, pull your pants up, get yep. up there, fight. It's beautiful to be alive today. Living is the greatest thing ever. And you can do so many good things to help yourself. And at the same time, you're helping other people see that strength, you know? Yeah. So honestly, I, I agree to, to some, to some point. Yeah. I, me um, too. I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying everyone has to just shut up yeah. and, and get tough. That, that, that would be very arrogant to me. <laughs> yeah. So back to like the education piece, right? I think that the problem is we're in this in-between phase where we're talking about it more, mm -hmm. but people still don't know what to do. Right. Right. So I think that to your point, we do need to learn from our mistakes, right? Our, I, I believe parents and coaches need to let people make mistakes 100%. and then adjust and take that next step forward. Mm -hmm. um, I always talk about like, okay, what are you actually going to do to solve your problem? Mm -hmm. Right. It's not complaining about it. Right. If it gets to that point, then yeah, we can tighten right. up a little bit. Right. But to the same point, if we are kind of in this timeline, right. And maybe 10, 20 years ago, people didn't talk about mental health at all. Right. And if you did, even today, we still see that stigma. We're fighting it all the time. Oh, yeah. Yep. Every day. And I mean, the hidden opponent's mission is to break that stigma, especially in athletics for mental health. Mm -hmm. So, in the timeline back to that, I think that we're in this middle phase where we are more comfortable, not completely comfortable, but more comfortable talking about mental health. We're comfortable telling our friends that we have anxiety. Mm -hmm. We're comfortable saying that I go to therapy, mm -hmm. right? Even for me, like <laughs> that's even hard to, to talk about because that stigma is so strong. Yeah. So until we can get to the point where in this timeline that we are comfortable talking about our mental health and we know exactly what to do when we are in a crisis mm -hmm. or even things to do to prevent getting to that point, like going to therapy or 
talking to a psychiatrist in mm -hmm. even if it does get to the point for some people going on medication for it mm -hmm. right once we can get to that point where we know exactly every single step that we need to take then we're going to have this problem at least from my personal perspective mm -hmm. yeah i think there's there's never been more resources for these issues than ever before and there's never been an easier way to access the resources so I didn't grow up with the internet. I didn't grow up with cell phones. I, I, we had problems. It was my dad and mom. I taught, I, that was it. Now you guys don't have to really do that. You could go to the internet. You could type in, uh, you know, uh, I live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I could put in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, mental health, uh, help or something like that. And it would show me my resources. I could, I could vet them. I could look through, I could call people. I, you know, we didn't have any of that. So I think the bill the availability of these services and, uh, systems are, are more prevalent today, but that's the, that's what, that's what frustrates me. Cause you would think with all this, uh, more things out there to help people, you think we'd be getting better. And it's not just the kids. I'm not picking on Gen Z. Um, I saw, and maybe, you know, this better than me, but I, th I think I'm going to say this correct, but the highest suicide rate increase percentage, not, not numbers was Caucasian men over 80. Really? I mean, that's, that's just amazing. That's, but I could see why my dad's 90. Um, my mom died almost two years ago. He's by himself. You know, he, he almost died last summer. Um, uh, my dad, you know, so I could see depression and loneliness and you're kind of at 90. You're like, what else do I have? You know? And I could see, I could see that. So it, it's, it's on all the, it's all the whole spectrum of humanity. It's, it's in Iowa here, we had more young, like 10 year olds admitted to the ER rooms for cutting themselves, for threatening suicide, for attempted suicide, like 10 to 12 year olds than we've ever had here before. I mean, 10 dude, when I was 10, suicide wasn't even an option. It wasn't even on the table. I mean, we never even knew we could, we could do that. It sounds crazy, but, but we didn't. And, and that's why maybe, maybe we were a little more resilient because it just wasn't an option. Now today, Every day you open up the paper. I mean, there was a, there was a, um, I don't know the term cause I'm too old. You would know it like a K what's K pop. I don't know what that is. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. It's some music thing over in Japan or something, but there was some, some 29 year old 4 million followers on TikTok, and she commit, she took her life like a couple days ago, 29, you know, 4 million followers on TikTok. It's like, wow, if you can't get something from that, you know, that's a lot of affirmation, a lot of people telling you you're doing great. And there was still something missing in her life, you know, and that's, that's what drives me. And I'm sure that's what drives you. Let me talk a little bit about Victoria because I had a chance to meet her, uh, her yeah. story, her story. I don't know it that well, but I'd like to have you kind of maybe tell me a little bit about, I know she played volleyball at USC. She was, uh, I think all pack 12, maybe all American. Um, she started the hidden opponent in 2017. I think from the Genesis came from events in her own life, right? And maybe the same thing you're going through frustrations with athletes inability to communicate about these things. Yeah. I don't want to speak for Victoria yeah. by any means. Um, but I, I can talk a little bit about like how, um, from my point of view, where I think that she started with it, an opponent or yeah. maybe got the idea for it. That's perfect. Um, That'd be great. Yeah. So I know that, uh, she talks a lot now, about how she portrayed herself on social media when she was in college 
And it was a lot of like editing pictures and no matter how great she looked or what yeah. she achieved, it felt like it wasn't good enough. Right. Right. And um, she started uh, posting something called like a real post and mm. that kind of translated into now she has a podcast called real pod so real post was if she felt some way she was going to let people know mm -hmm. and she wasn't going to try and hide it as much anymore or if at all yeah and you know if she was crying and having a hard day she would take a picture show it to her followers and say I'm a real person too. This mm -hmm. is what I'm going through. Right. And I can't even imagine how hard it was to take those first couple of pictures and those first couple of posts and say that she's going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then she, uh, she spoke at a Ted talk mm -hmm. and um, she talked about the struggles of a student athlete and all of the time and effort that it takes with the expectations that other people have, whether it's coaches, family members, teammates, or obviously yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I still have this picture in my head of the, um, she had her schedule up on the screen at this TED talk and she put in every practice, every class, if she got 15 minutes for a meal or not yeah. on some days. No time then, for herself, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that is likely what sparked the idea. Um, I don't know a lot of what the hidden opponent did before the campus captains program. So there was like three or four years in between there. And I'm very thankful for Leanne and Victoria for starting this program up because if they didn't, I probably wouldn't be speaking with you today, Jeff. Yeah, I. It's beautiful. I mean, when these when these programs take off, and you kind of go all the way back, and you look at that spark of inspiration, and I I can only use my like you can't speak for Victoria, um, I can only use my my story as kind of my research project. You know, I mean, it's like, and I had no interest in this until our son died, and even then. I was more in shock and more angry that I still didn't have a lot of interest. Cause I, I was, I was, um, as I like to say, I was an angry fentanyl dad. So I was blaming everything else. And then I finally realized that this is not productive. And at the same time I was watching my wife get slowly worse. And then when she died, that was my all in moment. That was where I was like, okay, um, whatever I think I was doing to help them wasn't enough. Or if it was enough, I can do better. You know what I'm saying? Doing enough isn't the objective here. You know, just, we don't want to survive. We want to thrive. There's a yeah. big, there's a massive difference there. Nobody wants to run through their life, their lived experience. The one chance we get to be human, just surviving. That sucks. Um, we want to be thriving. We want to get up. We want to jump out of bed. At my age, it's a little harder to jump out of bed. I tend to crawl out of bed. You probably <laughs> come flying out of bed. I got to have my coffee and... It takes me about 15, 20 minutes in the morning, uh, you know, which is a whole different set of issues for me. But, but the reality is, it's like, life's beautiful, man. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And I think the older you get, there's a, there, there's a set of wisdom that sets in. There, there, there's, there's the ability to look back in your life and say, wow, when I was in college and I got a D on a class and I had to tell my parents 
And, or maybe I didn't get into med school, or maybe I didn't, maybe I went to a DU one college and I sat on the bench. I was first team all state four years in high school, but I got to college and didn't play. And, you know, and then you, and then when you're 57 and your son dies, you realize how insignificant all that stuff was when you were younger. And I think as you get older, you build more resiliency. So the key is to get you guys older. We can't be losing you at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. We just can't. I remember one time with my boys when, when Seth died, they were 15 and 13. And that's, that's a big age. You know, that's losing a brother or sister is like the hardest thing to come back from. But when you're 13 and 15, it's, it's sometimes insurmountable. And I remember asking the boys one time when I was sitting down with them, I said, um, something to the effect about changing behavior. It's like, you know, you never have to quit doing drugs if you never start, you know, something in that mindset. So it's all about, it's all about, um, choices precede consequences. So if you don't want to go to jail for drunk driving, then what? Right. Don't, don't, don't have nine beers at a party, yeah, jump in your right. car and drive home. <laughs> and if you don't want to have nine beers at a party, then don't go to the party. So yep. you can just kind of reverse engineer this back and really get it back to that initial poor decision you made. It ended up being a very bad decision. And then you said something about mistakes. I've been really trying to talk to young kids. Like we don't make mistakes. We, we don't make mistakes. We have life lessons, learning lessons. It's a mistake if you do it two, three, four times. Now, obviously if you murder somebody the first time, that's a mistake. But most times things that we do aren't mistakes unless we repeat them. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I, so Dr. T, he's on our medical advisory board. He is um, one of the people that we have train our campus captains at the, at the start of the year. And something that he talks about is failure. Yeah. But failure, if we look at it in terms of like an acronym, it's our first attempt in learning hmm, or like further attempts in learning. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. I think that we're able to learn from, you know, things that we experiences that we have. Right. And then we're hopefully if we're able to learn from that and actually take that into action, we're able to adjust in mm -hmm. the future or prevent something from happening. Um, if we're able to actually tangibly use that. Mm -hmm. When we were designing Brighton, I was struggling with coming up with three areas of optimal mental wellness. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted our app to be something that, that young adults could take their phone, which is, you know, arguably their biggest enemy right now. The phone is probably what's causing the majority of the angst and issues and depression in kids. Uh, whether it's, you know, like Victoria, obviously posting things, that's part of being on the phone. Um, so if the phone is a big problem for kids, we could fight it and say, Hey, you know, Andy, get off TikTok. You know, I'm going to ban you from social media. That doesn't work. Pro Prohibition never worked. We can't ban things from kids. So why fight against the current? Why not? We just go with it. And so our app, we want to take the phone, which is the worst enemy for kids and make it their best friend. And in doing so, Andy, I thought, okay, if I could be the creator for a day, what are the three things I would do? And one was health. Obviously that's a big one, you know, meditation, exercise, less fried foods, low sugar, you know, more water, just common sense things, you know, that, that that's free, you know, it doesn't take any, any 
most of those things are pretty inexpensive. And then the other thing was the big one for me. The second thing was purpose. And I want to talk to you about that for a second. It seems to me that generation Z being as big as it is, the largest generation of all time uh, is also probably the most lost generation of all time. And, and, And they're, they're, they're frustrated with the way that my generation is taking care of the climate, uh, the oceans, uh, feeding the poor, um, talking about politics. You can't have a conversation with two adults about Trump and Biden without somebody getting pissed off, which is just, a, I didn't grow up in that. My mom, my dad and my grandpa could sit and talk about politics and it was okay. So things have escalated. So kids are like, well, why, why am I doing this? I mean, I'm not going to have anything to inherit. The earth is being destroyed and inflation's through the roof and I can't buy my first house. And to buy a car is $40,000 or whatever. And it's like, I can understand that. So tell me, I'll put you on the spot here. How do you put hope and inspiration in the hearts of young men and women today? Easy question. question. Easy question, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that if we're able to be vulnerable with young people and it's not just allowing them to be vulnerable, it is actually being vulnerable yourself. Right. And as a parent, teacher, coach, I think that if you're able to say to your kid, hey, I, I want to be able to help you in this scope. Mm-hmm. And I struggle with it too. Right. I'm not perfect. And I'm not trying to be, but I'm trying to improve every day. Perfect. Right? I like that. Um, talking about purpose is something that I'm really passionate about and I'm, I'm not going to have any like wise words or anything like that. I wish I had the perfect thing to say here, Jeff. I don't either, but (laughs) that's why I I asked you because I don't know the answer. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, like we might not have an answer Mm -hmm. and I think that's okay. And, and showing these young kids that it's, okay to not have the answer for everything yeah. as well, I think is important. Do, do you but, think we, um, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. Do you think we find purpose or does purpose find us? Um, I think it's different for each person. Mm-hmm. I think that if we are looking for it, we're more likely to you're have open it to it, us. right? If you're open yeah, to it, right? Exactly. Um, in, in college, so around this time when I was trying to decide if I wanted to play football the next year or not, we had an assignment in one of my classes, and it was, what is your purpose? Right. It was two pages front and back, um, and it just asked us questions about our values and trying to clarify what our values were personally, not what other people's values were and right. um, for us. Right. So <laughs> I, I sit down at the desk, everybody else is working on it. And I sit there the entire time, just with my hand on my forehead, looking down at this paper. Cause I'd never thought about my purpose before mm. in my end of sophomore year of college. So I was what, 19, 20 mm-hmm. years old at the time. And I'd never mm-hmm. thought about my purpose before. Mm-hmm. Right. If people ask me the question, I just would probably throw out an answer that, you know, my purpose is to 
help people and maybe I can do that through being a doctor one day or being a athlete that people look up to as a role model. Right. Right. And those were other people's expectations for me. Yeah. I never thought about that for myself. Right. So when I go through that class and I'm sitting there the entire time, not writing down a single thing, flip through the pages, look at all the different questions about getting deeper into purpose. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to say. Right. And no idea what to write down. Right. And then I was looking around the room, people started talking and um, they were like finishing up the assignment. And I realized that everybody else was easily able to go through this sheet and what felt like five minutes to me was the entire class Mm. and i started to cry Mm. in the middle of my college classroom almost a panic attack right i i just didn't know what to do and i felt like i wasn't enough because i couldn't write down what my purpose was. Yeah. It, it sounds like such a simple thing. And no, it's, it's not. It's not. Yeah. I, hey, listen, I didn't find mine out until I was 52, Andy. So uh, at your age, how in the heck would you, would you know what your purpose is? <laughs> yeah. So back to like what we were talking about before, I think it is different for each person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my dream job popped in my head one day when I was walking to work in college and I never thought about it before. And I just like came up with this different idea and I'm able to do some of those things through my work with the hidden opponent, which is great. And what I do outside of the hidden opponent, like my full-time job. Um, so I, I think that my purpose found me and I'm probably not even able to put it into words today. And I think that's okay. That's fine. I, I think that's okay too. Yeah. So I think that it found me. I think some other people are able to go get it and and go find their purpose. Um, I'm sure that takes a lot of trial and error and a lot yeah. of effort and a lot of time. And your purpose can can evolve. I mean, I may be, I'm 57, yeah. so maybe at 65, um, something else happens in my life. And all of a sudden now I take an, 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 a new meaning and purpose. Um, you know, I'm not overly superstitious. So let's say I'm diagnosed with cancer. You know, now all of a sudden, you know, my meaning and purpose would would shift from being a mental health advocate to talking to people that are terminal, you know? So I think that's one thing you need to always kind of leave on the table is the opportunity to evolve as a person. And that's one of my three tenets of the living undeterred mindset is expectations, preparations, and evolution. And one of the problems with young people is that they're stuck in, in, in the past. And that's where depression comes from. You know, you sit around thinking about, Oh, I should have been a doctor or I should have made the varsity or I, should have the best looking girl on campus um, or, you know, and so you sit there and you play this game with this imaginary person in your head. Cause it's really just you, you're talking to somebody that you're talking to yourself basically, you know, which is a whole different podcast, but, um, but you know, you're sitting there having these conversations with yourself about things that are already over. It, it, it's, I mean, it's almost crazy that we do that as humans. I mean, dogs don't sit around and do this. I mean, most animals don't sit around and think about what happened last week, but we have this gift of hindsight where we punish ourselves routinely living in the past, captured in thought. And then, so that creates depression. Uh, and then you have the future, which creates anxiety. But do you see the, see the thing we're missing? We don't live in the present. 
And that is what I'm trying to get kids to look at. Take your past, whatever. I mean, everybody, if I'm speaking in front of a hundred kids, there's going to be some kids in that room that I know have been sexually abused, um, that have been physically abused, that have been abandoned. Terrible things have happened to them. Yet there's got to be some way they can find, like I do on my shirt, find a way to be better, not bitter, and use all that chaos and trauma as the beginning of something beautiful, some, some inspiration in your life. And even if you don't help anybody else, and I, I get asked, I got the other day I was doing speaking in front of high school kids. And somebody said, well, Jeff, it's just so heroic what you're doing, going around helping people. And I said, hold on a second. This is selfish. I'm doing this for Jeff Johnston. Because if you're on an airplane and you have kids, Andy, and you hit turbulence, what's the first thing that air, the air, um, we used to call them stewardesses, but you can't say it anymore. The airline attendant. What's the first thing they tell you to do with the air mat, the oxygen mask? You got to put it on yourself first. But as a mental health advocate, sometimes we don't do that. We're out trying to yeah. save everybody all day long. We come home, we're like, shit, no one's here for me. So I am selfishly, and I proudly will tell people, this is about me first. Not about me making money, not about me and my ego, but it's about my therapy. Having conversations with young adults like you helps me today. Um, Seth would have been 29. Seth died when he was your age. Um, I, I'm looking at you right now and I can see my son. Uh, he was your age. He was, he was a, a, as articulate as you. He was good looking like you. I mean, my son had everything. And, you know, now he's not here. So I could, I could torture myself like I did for a year and a half when I drank every single day. Um, I had a gun to my head. Uh, I did all, I did all the things that now I tell people to be very aware of. Uh, and then on top of that, my wife died. So it's like, but I tell you what, I'm at the best place I've ever been in my life. Uh, I, I literally pinch myself every day. I'm so effing happy to be alive. I love my granddaughter. Seth's, Seth's child was born three weeks after he died. I love my two boys. My dad's still here. Uh, I've, I've, have a new friend in you. Um, I hope to do some work with the hidden opponent. Uh, there's no reason our two teams can't collide together and, you know, silo advocacy isn't as effective as collaborating. And I've yet to see any downside in collaboration. Zero. I've never, I've never had a relationship on this mental health journey that I collaborated with somebody, even if it's a suicide advocate and I don't have suicide in my life. Um, sex abuse. I wasn't sexually abused, but where's the downside in, in, in organizations coming together? You know, I mean, we have to do something to right this ship because your generation is the largest generation ever. And if we don't come together, you and me put our differences aside, our opinions, our, our perspectives, po politics, whatever it is. And we put it all aside and we, cause if we don't do this, then there's already a name for the generation behind you. Do you know what it is, Andy? I believe it's alpha. It is. <laughs> and see, so someday you're going to be me, man. You're going to be on a podcast and you're going to be old and you're going to be sitting here talking about generation alpha. And it just kind of the cycle keeps going. But the problem is, is each generation is getting worse mental health wise. And the statistics will completely prove that for me. Um, so I am so encouraged though, with your generation, I am fascinated with Gen Z. I really am. It's, it's taken over my life. I just, I love the data. I love the fact that young men and women like you are, are, are getting involved in mental health advocacy because when I was your age, there wasn't podcasting, there wasn't blogging. There wasn't, if I wanted to be an advocate, 
there wasn't any way for me to do it, you know, other than just going to my, going to my student guidance counselor and saying, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll form a group after the, after the dungeons and dragons club, you know, we'll have a little get together of kids and we'll talk about these things. That's, that's all we had. Now you guys can just do so many, I mean, so many amazing things in a short amount of time. You can have millions and millions of young adults following you in a couple of years. If you're really good yeah. at this, that's, that's, that's boding very well for, for what we're trying to do. I think. Yeah. I think collaboration is really important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having conversations like this is also really important because you come up with questions that I'm like, wow, that is a great question. I have not thought about it before, but I'll try my best. Right. I don't have and... answers. So I'm asking questions because <laughs> I don't have answers. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that, you know, the, the listeners are able to think about those questions for themselves, mm-hmm. right? Thinking about their purpose, mm-hmm. thinking about how to help other people, but also helping yourself first mm-hmm. and getting the help that you need is going to help the people that you want to help in the future, mm-hmm. right? If you're able to provide that better service or better care and I talk to nurses about this often and in, in what I do outside of the hidden opponent, um, taking your break, right? Being able to put yourself in a different environment where you can focus on you to provide better care for your patients. Mm-hmm. It goes the same way for talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. We have to, and, and there's no other option. We have to help ourselves before we help other people. And even if people aren't selfish in that way, you still want to be able to provide better help for other people. And that starts with helping yourself first. Yeah. I don't think there's any shame in being selfish. Um, I mean, you can be selfless as well, but if you're miserable, then become selfish. And what that means is um, I think young adults, and I ask you this question as we kind of get near the end of the show, how important is it that young adults can self-assess and can autonomously work on their mental health as opposed to just going to a doctor and saying, oh, Andy, you have attention deficit. Here's Adderall. And you just take it. And and that's not really self-assessing. Um, how important is the ability for young adults to look at all the options out there? Uh, in the recovery space, we talk about everyone has a, their own unique pathway to recovery. So some people go to AA meetings. Other people have to have meds. Some people you know, get into marathon running. There's no right answer. Would, would you say at the end of the day, that's similar to the mental health space with young adults? Yeah. And I really only want to speak from like my personal experience on this um, because I have anxiety and I wanted the problem solved. Right. And I just magic pill, right? A magic pill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I wish there was. Yeah. I do. I do. That, you know, there's different combinations of medications that are going to affect different people in a variety of ways. But I think that self assessing is extremely important yeah. because if we're able to, even if it's just sitting in the car before you turn it on, right? Mm-hmm. If you are able to say, I'm here in this moment, I'm in the present, right? right? And I'm right. consciously thinking about that. right? And this is how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. right? If it's not feeling good, then what can I do? Can I try breathing exercise? Can I try calling a friend? Mm-hmm. Can I try you know, listening to my favorite song, Mm -hmm. right? Is there something else that I can do to get me into a better headspace or 
uh, uh, feeling a little bit better in that moment, right? I think that's extremely important. And for my own personal experience, before we tried the medication, I went back to therapy and I was in therapy. I had supportive parents when I was in middle school and I stopped when we moved to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, that, that story is a whole, yeah, whole nother segment, right? Another but, road um, to go down. Yeah. <laughs> and then it took me 10 years mm -hmm. to realize that I wanted to do that for myself. Speaking of been going years. to therapy for the last year, even though I've been involved with a hidden opponent for three, mm -hmm. right? It took me two years to actually take that step where I'm talking to other people about the steps that they can take and not doing that for myself, right? So I'm finally able to take those steps and, and help myself as well through therapy and through talking to other people about these problems. And thankfully, I have not had to uh, try the medication route yet, but I'm open to it if it doesn't get better with therapy. But I find every time after I leave that office, I feel better. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, man. That was a great question. <laughs> I'm um, just full of great <laughs> questions today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I. So my dad was a firefighter for his entire adult life. And well, thank, I'm really passionate. Thank him for his service. That's awesome. Yeah, of course. I, you I know, appreciate first that. responders, I did a whole talk on first responders mental health, and that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, right. So I would love to be working with first responders yeah, down the great. road. Um, I just got married six months ago. So hey, I didn't know in that. 10 years. Congratulations, man. <laughs> Thank you. you. Yeah. So hopefully well, in my 10 son years. Ian just got engaged. So they're getting married next summer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's such an exciting time, but yeah, 10 years, hopefully we'll be able to buy a house, right? <laughs> couple, couple kiddos, and, buy a house and yeah, yeah, that's great. But, um, all that stuff, but, uh, I, I will always be passionate about working with student athletes as well. Yeah. Um, I've told Leanne and Victoria something major would have to go wrong for me to ever stop working with a hidden opponent. I don't think, yeah, that's once you're in something like that, it pulls at your heartstrings and at some capacity, you know, whether, you know, I don't know how the hidden opponent structured if, if all you guys are volunteers or if you're paid or whatever, but I'm assuming some levels are compensated um, because you can't just run an organization, all volunteers. Cause I have found when you run organizations of people not paid, um, they don't prioritize some of the things because they typically go to do the things first that they're paid for. Um, I struggle with that on my nonprofit. I, it's a hard to find board members and people that are, that are really engaged because it's volunteer. But if I pay somebody, it's a whole different deal. So again, you don't have to comment on how hidden opponents structured, but I, I run into issues with motivation with young adults primarily. Um, so to find somebody who's attracted to something that maybe they're not being paid on, that's rare. It's, it's hard to find somebody because that's, that's true passion. Then. That's true passion. Yeah. And even like in my daytime job, what I do is work with companies to help keep their employees around. Mm, great. And we do that through like screenings, like health screenings and, and health coaches. Because you work well. at a fitness place too, right? Um, I actually work at a hospital in the medicine okay. area. That I think your also pro your profile I thought said you had worked at a fitness place or um yeah, that was just six months ago. I oh. just started this job recently. Yeah. Um yeah, so I'm the wellness coordinator for a local hospital in the Madison area. But um I'm really enjoying it and I'm able to, you know, work a ton on this 
autonomously yep. and um, I'm able to do things that I want to. And it's, it's been a great experience as well. Um, and I'm able to uh, use some of the things that I've learned with working with an opponent in my daytime job. Last question. Well. Yeah. What are you most grateful for? <laughs> um, wow, you're hitting me with all the good ones, Jeff. <laughs> I uh, life is pretty good right now, honestly. Mm -hmm. I am extremely grateful to be alive. I have an amazing wife, an amazing job, but it's more than just a job, right? Right. It's right. uh, having feeling like you have purpose in your work. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, I don't know what else I would want to be doing mm -hmm. with my life, except helping other people. Um, I know that was, that was more than just one thing, but uh, I, I'm grateful for a lot right now. And, and I really appreciate you uh, asking me all these wonderful questions and have me on today, well, Jeff. Well, sometimes, sometimes there's no words in the English dictionary to articulate how you feel. And I found that out before. It's like, I, I struggle sometimes with, you know, and I ask you these questions cause I get asked these in every podcast I'm on <laughs> Yeah, right. and I don't always answer the same. It's like, what am I grateful for? Well, I'm grateful. My dad didn't die last summer. Um, he was gone. I mean, he had a stomach aneurysm. He, he was ICU for three weeks at 90. I mean, that's, you don't come out of that. And I was at his house last night watching the Denver play the Lakers and he doesn't even have a stroller anymore. He just walks across. I just said, and he mowed his yard the other day on his riding lawnmower. <laughs> I'm like, dad, you are a freaking rock star, man. I said, I can't, you were gone last summer. We were, we were hours from pulling the plug. My dad's a doctor. So we, he knows that I was ready to pull the plug on him. And, and I, I, we share this in my growing up with a doctor. We can talk about these things very much non-judgmental. I mean, we talked about sex and drugs and rock and roll and all that at a very young age. So I grew up very pragmatic mind. So, um, I wanted my dad to know that, you know, as, as our brothers were sat around talking about, you know, the end of life for him that, you know, based on all the data I had, I was comfortable with pulling the plug. And I, I, I'm man enough to tell my dad that, and he gave me a big hug and said, well, I'm happy you didn't. And I said, me too. But <laughs> the reality, the reality is it is, you know, gratitude can, can change. Like I was grateful that my son's daughter was born. And, you know, Brighton's like the greatest thing in my life. You know, I don't, I don't have a wife. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't date. It's like when my wife died, I decided that my spouse is my mental health advocacy at this point. And I don't want to be single my whole life, but it's like, I like what I do. I, I enjoy what I do. I get up in the morning. I'm excited for each day. Um, I, you know, I like being overwhelmed. Um, it's, it's like a drug for me, you know, being, having, when I'm done with you, I'll look at my emails. I'll have 15 emails as will you, and I'll probably get to two or three of them. And then after lunch, I'll have another 15. It's like, I never, I never can catch up. And that creates a set of whole, uh, anxiety issues. I have to work through myself, but, yeah. um, okay. So any last comments you want to make to wrap this up? And then I would like to have you talk about how people can reach the hidden opponent, donate, contact you. Maybe, I mean, do you do yeah. speak, you know, do, do you guys have a ability for people to come speak, you know, things like that. And, Give you a couple seconds, minutes here to pitch hidden opponent, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. So, um, what I want the listeners to take away from today's conversation is help yourself before you help mm -hmm. other people. Love that. Right? Love that. Love that, man. And 
it's okay if you don't know exactly what your purpose is. Maybe it'll find you. Maybe you need to go find it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or make but, one up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, for me personally, it took time. And I've said it a couple of times on the podcast, but that's okay. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that when we're looking at young people, yes, we are able to talk about it more. Mm-hmm. But we need to know how to use the resources that are available mm-hmm. and even be willing to reach out to those resources because sometimes you know it's it's hard to even yeah they won't reach out to you call. right they won't reach yeah. out to you yep yeah so it's hard to make that phone call and taking that step alone maybe that's a gap that we were talking about earlier right, right? and bridging it maybe right. it's just needing to feel comfortable with using the resources that are available um in terms of getting involved with the hidden opponent, um, anybody can contact me, just Andy, A-N-D-Y, at thehiddenopponent.org. Um, again, my role is advocacy director. I run our campus captains program, which, which gets high school and college student athletes involved in the advocacy. Um, some people join to help themselves and some people join to help other people and either is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, at The Hidden Opponent, we talk about advocating for other people. So uh, giving uh, people the voice that they might not have, educating and supporting. So those are the three main pillars for The Hidden Opponent. Um, in terms of social media, we're on like all social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Instagram is the one that we use most often and um, we're we make the most connections with other people. Mm-hmm. And then our website, thehiddenopponent.org, you can find more information about our coaches and professionals program. So if you want to speak and, and help other people and you're a professional in the field, you can reach out to me or uh, go to our website to find out more on that information. Our campus captains program, people can contact me directly. Our applications for that will open again in July for next school year. And then um, donating, we even have a Venmo account that people can donate to. It's a business Venmo account. Um, And you can find more information on our website about that as well. Well, I know your mom and dad are are real proud of you. Uh, I'm super proud of you. Um, I I think we need an army of Andy Sauls around this, (laughs) around the world. We talk about our country so much, but you know, teens are struggling everywhere. Uh, it's not just the United States. Um, the numbers are pretty abysmal, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy our paths crossed. Uh, do me, a, do me a big favor. Make me promise you'll do this for me. Tell Victoria and Leanne hi. Uh, and I, I certainly, when we get close closer to launching our, our teen Gen Z mental health app, would certainly love the opportunity to partner with the hidden opponent, um, and get this in the hands of more people, but also yeah. do some, collaborating together uh, and uh, make a difference because um, we can't just sit by idly and watch this happen, right? Too many yeah. too many people are struggling. But listen, man, uh, great job today. Really appreciate it. Best of <laughs> luck. And uh, until we speak again, keep living undeterred, okay? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right, man. Take care. Mm-hmm.